If you would please turn in your Bible to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We'll not have the time to expound on this text today, but I do want to bring out the main point or bring out one principle, and we will apply this to our topic today. James chapter 1 and verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and has gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being here. You are so kind. Lord, I pray for just continued healing in our church. There's still many that are out and sick. And so we just pray that you would bless them, heal them up. But Lord, bless our time as we look into your word and see a, a grand picture of the church. May we... May we apply the things that we learned today to our lives. Lord, may we be doers of the word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in this passage, James is warning the believers not to be merely hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. Doers of the word. And he uses that as an example, mirror. They would hold a mirror in their hand that would be polished uh, brass or polished some kind of uh, mineral to be able to look into a mirror or some reflection and be able to see themselves. And then uh, they see that they've got dirt on them, their face and then go away and not do anything about it. And his point is, is that is self-deceiving. That's a deluding themselves, he says. And apparently this is what was happening in the church. These believers were coming week after week and they were hearing the word, but their lives were not changed. They were not implementing the word into their lives. They were not working it out. Now that's more dangerous than we think. In fact, the book of James, James goes through this book and he uses or he's that kind of spirituality, that kind of religion that they have of just hearing and not doing is suspect really throughout this. And he says they're deluding themselves. In fact, in chapter 2 and verse 20, he says that that kind of faith is, is no good. Look at this. Let me read it for you. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? You can hear and you can say you believe, but if you don't act on that, if you do not put that into practice, that kind of faith cannot save you. It doesn't save you. And then that's just foolishness. That kind of faith does not save. And James then goes on, marks out some of the problems that they're having, some of the issues 
one of the first things that he points out is their sinful reaction to trials. They think that they are to be trouble-free. And they're obviously involved in worldly wisdom, doubting God, double-mindedness, the use of their tongue, their misuse of their riches, arguing with one another, complaining against God, the lack of prayer. All of these things that they are not applying the Word of God to in their life. Now, what's the answer? The answer is in verse 21. In humility, receive the word implanted. The Holy Spirit has implanted that word. We need to receive that word and work it out into our life. It has to be applied. Now, that's always the problem with us, isn't it? It's always the problem with man. Is that we are detached some way from the word of God. We have to submit ourselves to the word of God and to the preaching of the word and the teaching of the word. And we've mentioned this before. And if we do not submit, we, or if we are detached, then we're not growing. We're not e- being equipped. We are still babes in Christ. Baby Christians. And there's no stability in our life. We're vulnerable to enemies. And, vul- and we become victim to this faddish kind of Christianity that we have today. Just tossed here and there. Every which way the doctrine wants to go. And we just react, react, not under the influence of the Word of God, but just uh, under the influence of our own flesh, our own nature. And that is much of Christianity today. But if we receive the Word of God with a pure heart and with humble attitude, it progressively renews us and transforms our thinking. It transforms our words, it transforms our attitudes, it transforms our actions. It reproves us, it rebukes us, it corrects us, and it trains us in righteousness. It's important, it's essential. And James is pointing out the power of the Word of God to change us. And Jesus Himself, remember, Jesus said, If you abide in Me and My Word abide in you. That's crucial. That's crucial for a Christian. Now, that same principle is applied to the church. It must be applied to the church. He applies it to individual believers here, but it must be applied to the church as well. We must adhere to the Word of God. And we've been looking the past month or two now at the church. Christ told His disciples to go and make disciples of all the world. And when they did that, when, when Peter goes and he begins to preach, all of a sudden you have a church. All of a sudden, you don't have just individuals and you don't just have a universal church. People got saved as individuals, yes, but they came together and it developed, Christ developed a local church, local church. And that was through the Word. It was through the Word of Christ. And Christ was building His church and Christ continues to this day to build His church. Um. And his people then have a place that they can be discipled. That they can come in and hear the word. And then go out and minister. And he uses this word. Christ uses this word to build his church. Now, we've seen, just by way of uh, review, we've seen that um, we've seen the essentials of the church. We've seen the the proper attitudes, essential attitudes of the church, the single duty of the church to make disciples. Last week we looked at the fact that we are to rely on Christ to build His church. We are to have faith in His method, 
and not just use any gimmicks to build His church. We rely upon His Word. But that does not mean, and I did not mean to imply at all last week, if, that's, if that came across, that we do nothing. Folks, we are to be active, active in His church. We have uh, much to do. We have to do our part. We don't just leave it up to Christ. We are helping to come alongside to build His church. And He builds His church through us. We must fulfill our responsibility. And Christ has commanded us to work in His fields. Believers must be a part of the building up of the local church. That's so important. So important. So the question is, is then, what is the church to do? What do we do? What, what actions do we take? We're making disciples, yes, but how do we do that? What are we doing? What is our part? What has Christ called us to do? What is the actions of the church? And I want to go through these things. And I'm going to put the emphasis upon the application, what we can do, what you can do, how you can get involved. And there's a few, one, few that I need to get through today. We'll come back to them next week as well. Believers, number one, are to evangelize and expand the gospel to every part of the world. Believers are to evangelize and expand the gospel to every part of the world. We are responsible. We are responsible to evangelize. That is, share the good news with other people. And this is both locally here. We have a responsibility globally. That's missions. That is our responsibility. As the early church, through persecution, they were scattered. God brought that, Christ brought that persecution into the church. And they began to scatter. And they began to spread. And with them, the gospel was spread. With each individual. Now, there's a few things that we need to remember about evangelism. Number one, evangelism is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Now, if you look over Matthew chapter 5... You'll remember this passage that Christ said that you are the salt of the earth. Salt is a preserving agent. It is though we are holding back the wrath of God. We're preserving the church. As long as we are here, we're preserving the church. We're holding back God's wrath. At any moment, His wrath could come down upon this world. and We are taken from this world. Number two, we're also light of the world. We have the light of the gospel. That's truth. Truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word, how to live and moral clarity to this world. We bring moral clarity and we're to be good examples of the world so that they glorify, it says, glorify God in heaven. Now, the way we live our life is to be an example to the world. We're distinct from the world so that we're an example to the world and that then becomes hope to the world. But we don't leave it at there. Because we, are, we are, are to be an example. We're to live our life as an example. But we're also to open our mouths. We have a gospel message that we have to preach. I do want you to turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3. We must, we must be ready to articulate our faith. 1 Peter chapter 3. It's not too far from where you are in James. He says this. And I've been using this verse lately a, a whole lot. First Peter chapter three, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who has to give an account for the hope that lies in you. This hope 
that does not die, this hope that just keeps on going. Even though we fall, even though we stumble, even though we are hungry, and even though we go through the difficulties of life, the the world sees this hope that's in us, and at some point they will come and say, hey, what is that hope that lies within you? And then we open our mouth. We have to be ready to articulate, here's why, here's what's going on. Christ has saved me. And it's through the message of the Word that changed my life and has given me this hope. Our life becomes a credibility. It gives our message credibility. Our example then turns into hope for this world. Now, you say, okay, let's apply this. What what do we do with this? Does that mean that we just all run out there and just kind of helter-skelter, just street evangelism? That might not be the most effective way to do that. We are simply to, as the Lord brings people into our life, we build their confidence and we share Christ with them. That's the way it works. Personal evangelism is still the number one method of bringing people to Christ one-on-one. You think, oh, no, it's, it's these mass evangelism that, that are, are revivals that we have. No. Statistically, it's one-on-one. And we go and build a relationship with people. That's what we do. That's part of the going. That's part of the just getting involved in other people's lives. Now, let's apply this. We are all called to evangelize. We are all to point to Christ. We don't leave it up to the professionals. Therefore, we we need to be prepared. We need to be working in the lives of unbelievers, of other people that that need Christ. Who are you working on? Who are you working on? Is there anybody in your life that that is an unsaved that you're just wanting to bring to Christ? We all need to have someone that we're working on. Number two, we have to be careful not to be self-focused. Now, this is a danger, and I think this is a... A big need for the church today, folks. I think we've turned so far introspective that we forget that God is working, that He is expanding His kingdom. We forget about the kingdom because we're so focused on ourselves, our self-help and our group therapy and getting me all right before I expand the kingdom. Listen, we are to focus on the kingdom of God. We are to be about our Father's business, as Christ said. We need to think about the expansion of the kingdom. Number three, we do not wait for the world to come to us. Folks, we cannot do that. We cannot just have a big program up here and invite people and and just massive people get saved. No, we go to the world. That's the way it works. That's the pattern that we see in Scripture. We penetrate the world. We go into their environment. I don't want to say that you do not do that. In fact, that's what we do, isn't it? We go to the grocery store. We go to uh, work. We go to school. We go to places where the world is. That's, we associate with the world. But here's the thing. We must bring God into the picture. Somehow we have to bring the conversation around to God and Christ and what God has done and the change that He can bring about in our life and the fact that His wrath is upon man, sinful man. Believers are to evangelize and to expand the gospel to every part of the world. I have to say, too, something about missions. Folks, we have to be involved in the lives of our missionaries. We have to pray for them. We support them. But do you call them up? Do you communicate with them? 
That's just part of what we do. It's part of what we do. Number two, we are called to worship. The church evangelizes, but we also come together and worship. Worship is a natural reaction. It's a response to what God has done for us. It's a response. uh, It's our response of when we see who God is. When we begin to realize that, as we expound on the Word of God, we begin to realize who God is. It just increases our worship. And when we see who we are, and when we see and understand the grace of God, our worship is, is deepened. And we begin to express our appreciation for that. That's essentially what worship is. But now there's two elements to to worship that we need to know. Two elements. There's individual worship. That is that our bodies are uh, an offering to God, a sacrifice to God. And you see the the passages of Scripture up there. Romans chapter 12, one of the passages that was read for us earlier. 1 Peter chapter 2. Everything that we do, folks, is an, it should be or must be an act of worship. We worship. We're worshipers. John chapter 4. He is looking for worshipers. And that's what we are. We are worshipers of God. And we do that on a daily basis. We don't do that just coming here and singing. That's number two. Number two, we have corporate worship. When we come together as the body of Christ. We're to draw near to God. The first day of the week, the, the New Testament believers, they gathered together and they worshipped. They worshipped. That's what we do. That's what we do. But here's the thing. That God regulates His worship. Now, people forget that. And they just bring everybody in to worship. But God regulates His worship. In the Old Testament, we see if you do not worship the right way, He can kill you. He has that right to kill you for not worshiping Him the way He deserves to be worshipped. And so we go to John chapter 4, verse 23, and Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3, or Philippians. We are to worship Him in what? Spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. Spirit refers to the genuineness of it. We do not want to be hypocrisy or hypocritical in our worship. Now, that was the scribes and the Pharisees, weren't they? They were just all about the outside. And Jesus said, no, genuine worship inside, inside the man, the internal part of the man. But we're also worship in truth and truth. That's the information about God that we have. If we don't have the right God in our mind, if we have a wrong kind of God, then that's going to be idolatry. And we have, to, we have to be careful of that. We have to have the right God. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, let's apply some of these things. I'm just going to want to give clarity here to the church, Daniel's Bible Church. Number one, we must cultivate a heart of worship. That needs to be cultivated. We need to know the God we're worshiping. There must be reverence there. There's a sobriety that we see in Scripture, in worship. And there's also an accuracy. And those things we cultivate into our hearts. Number two, we prepare our hearts for corporate worship. Do you know that? Is it hard for you on Saturday nights to to stop watching that movie and just uh, just get away with the Word of God and just begin to prepare your heart to read? Do you teach your children to do that? Now, that's hard because Saturday nights, man, that's Saturday nights. I mean, that's, that's fun time in America, right? But we prepare our hearts for worship the next day. 
We also, we also do that by worshiping throughout the week. If we're worshiping God throughout the week, then Sundays is a breeze. Sundays is a wonderful time. But we prepare our hearts by meditating on Scripture, by thinking through the words of the songs that we're singing. Those things ignite the heart. Number three, we draw near to God. We draw near to God. Now listen, here, this is... It might sound a little strange, but we have to let our hearts and our minds ascend up to God. We have to dwell on Him. We have to become aware that He is of His sovereign presence in our daily life. That He is always with us. In everything that we do, in every place that we are, we're in a place to worship God. So we meditate on Scripture Meditate on who God is, His character, His actions, His works. And then number five, to make sure to worship in spirit and truth. Now, here's what happens, I'm afraid. Many times our worship starts with just emotions. Get me pumped up with the music. And that's just, that's foreign to Scripture, folks. Worship starts by igniting the mind. The mind, it has to be, if we're going to worship in spirit and truth, the truth has to be there. We have to inform the mind and then there's a reaction to that. And many times it's an emotional reaction. We have to inform the mind. We ignite the mind with the words. So the words of our song are important, right? We have to know that those songs are accurate, biblically accurate, theologically accurate. Or we just get swept up into the emotions and the, and the congregation singing. And, and that's just not genuine worship. And then number six is we have to avoid emotionalism. And that's what happens. Emotionalism. If you're not worshiping in spirit and in truth, it's just sheer emotionalism. It's appealing to the flesh. There's a lot of songs that appeal to my flesh. Really, they do. And many times it's easy to just get swept up. And just appeals to the flesh. And before long, I'm thinking, I don't even know what these words say. I'm not even sure what, what, what I'm singing here. So we have to think about those things. It, 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 many times our worship service reflects uh, just a, a secular concert, just a bunch of emotion. That's not biblical worship. God's people must worship God. Number three, we have to move on quickly. We are, we are commanded to pray. This is another element of church that we are commanded to do. This is another action. We are to pray. It's a natural thing for us to pray to our Heavenly Father. Christ taught us to pray. It's also a command. We're commanded to do that. And when we pray, what's happening is we are breaking through this spiritual realm into the place where God lives, if you want to put it that way. And like I said, if Matthew chapter 7, Isaiah 55, we're commanded to pray. And we, to, we, we pray individually, and that's good. We, our Sunday school class, and uh, we were dealing with some of that. Pray individually, and certainly we, we pray daily as uh, the Lord taught us to pray. He said, when you pray, pray for your daily bread. Daily, daily. Number two, we come together and we pray corporately. Now, there's two different elements here. But corporately, it's when somebody, one of our elders comes up and leads us in prayer. And we come together and he leads our thinking and our prayers. That's corporate prayer. 
But there's also congregational prayer where we just come together. It's like Wednesday nights. We come together. We have a list in front of us. And we pray for one another. We pray for each other. And it's not just one person leading in prayer. It's a bunch of us praying. We're praying. Praying for the Lord to work in our lives. Praying for the Lord to work in other people's lives. We pray for physical things and spiritual things. And I'm reminded of James chapter 5. He said the effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. We are to pray with submission to God. Not my will be done, but your will be done. In uh, sincerity, with humility, boldness in Christ. We are, pray, we, we are to pray with persistency, or persistent, with repentant prayers of brokenness before God. We're to be praying watchfully, thankfully, and at all times. At all times. Now, let's think about this a little bit. Prayer is hard work. It's just plain hard work. It really is. I know in my own life, this is the place that I would struggle the most, just praying. When you're thinking through it, why is it so hard? Because it's an act of faith. We don't see anything. But we we have to pray. We act of faith. It's also a selfless act. I'm praying that God's will be done. That's what drives everything is God's will. And so I, I pray for that, that His kingdom would be would come And we pray for other people. We pray for the unsaved. It's a selfless act. There's a church uh, that Ruthie and I attended for four years. And at that time, this was back in the 1990s, and there was a group of... There was a group of um, there was a group of older saints. The older saints would get together on Mondays, Monday evenings, every Monday evening. And they had been doing that at that time for 25 years. If they're still doing it today, that would be 45 years. Just every time is getting together to pray. Those people understood that we are in a spiritual battle. And spiritual battles are won and lost through prayer. Prayer. We must have prayer. I just wonder how many spiritual battles are lost because we do not pray. How many blessings we forfeit because we do not pray. How much of God's glory is lost because of our lack of prayer. So let's apply this just real quick. Just have a few applications. Do you have a a daily discipline of prayer? A daily discipline of prayer. Folks, again, I, I have to confess, this is the hardest spiritual discipline, just praying daily. But we have to take it seriously. We have to take it seriously. Number two... How do you pray? And I have to watch about this. Because many of my prayers are selfish. I don't pray, Lord, my will, or not my will be done, but your will be done. I, I, I have to learn to pray that way. Number three, do we realize that we're presuming upon God? When we don't pray, we're presuming upon God. When we're not thankful, when we just breathe His air, live on His earth, and not acknowledge His existence, not come to Him in prayer, that is a sin. It's a sin. We presume upon Him by neglect of prayer. Number four, how much time then do you spend, or did you spend this week? How much time did you spend this week in prayer? Let's move on. The church is is to be praying. Number four. Number four, and this one might surprise you, but we are to build up and support the family. 
We're to build up and support the family. The family was God's institution. It was His first institution. Husband and wife and children. Now, you are a family even if you are single. Even if you are just a, a, a mother and a child. That constitutes a family. God, if you're trying to hold that together, that's at least a family. And do that. But we have to hold up the family. The purpose of the family. What is the purpose of the family? But to transfer righteousness from one generation to the next generation. That's the point. We train up children. And we hand down a commitment to righteousness from one generation to the next. Christian families... Or have to be for the church, has to be a, a high priority. Not just for the church, but for you. You need to invest time and energy and money into the family. It has to be a, a high priority. But it comes at a high cost, folks. It does. It does. I'm just reminded of this story about uh, Howard Hendricks, a, a noted author, a noted speaker in the Christian realm. And it was uh, said that he was called to preach at uh, this very upstanding place. And, and he wanted to, to do it. And there was a silence on the phone. But he said, no, I can't do it. The person said, oh, why can't you do that? What, what could be more important than this event? And he simply said, I have to play with my kids. Wow. That's a sacrifice. He's sacrificing for the family. He has to be with his kids. He, his priorities are, are correct, are right at that point in time. But folks, throughout history, the family's been under attack. We see it today. Satan would love to destroy the family. He tried with, with um, Adam and Eve and, and, of course, the two brothers. One wound up killing the other. Satan attacks the the kings of Israel, the prophets of Israel. It was always their family. It was always a, a disaster. Many times it was a disaster. Few times did it, it, it work that you transferred righteousness from one to another. It's hard and, it, and it, it takes a lot of invested time. He doesn't want to see God's righteousness transferred from one generation to the next. The church has an obligation to protect And preserve the family. The church must be faithful in preaching the word of God to the fathers who have a responsibility. And fathers, I I say this, you have the responsibility. It's not truth seekers and it's not children's church or Sunday school. It is you. You have the responsibility to train up those children. And we will come alongside as a church. We will come alongside and help. But the primary responsibility lies upon the fathers. There's a statistic out there that scares all of us, I think, and we've been hearing it for years now, of how many children are leaving the church once they get old enough. And I did a little bit of research on this, and I read a more thorough article that had done some investigation on this. What they found, that is not exactly accurate. They were saying, and the rumor is that, that massive amounts of our children are leaving the church. But more accurately, those who are just nominally Christians, 70%. If your family is just a nominal Christian, about 70-some percent of those children are leaving the church. But those who are genuinely committed to the church, 
They're regular, regularly at church. They're committed to family devotions. They're committed. Only about 11% do we lose. Isn't that an amazing statistic? Harvard statistic. A Harvard uh, uh, University did this survey, and I read that from them. Now, let's apply these things just quickly. Husbands and wives, you need to pursue unity. You need to pursue unity. Most of the arguments that we have in our homes, in our families, are what? Just come from selfishness. That's James. That's what James is saying in chapter 4. It just comes down to selfishness. Next, let's go to the men. Husbands, you intentionally build a healthy family. It doesn't come naturally. Listen, if, if we just did what come naturally, our family would be so scattered and not, uh, and not be interested in the Lord at all. We have to build that, men. And I'm talking to myself. My kids are all over the place. And I have to still build this unity in the family. Number three, fathers, you cannot neglect your family. That's what David did, isn't it? His family was a disaster. He neglected his family. Eli, disasters. Number four, men must lead our families by loving our wives. That's the first place. That's where we start. We love our wives as Christ loved the church. Ephesians chapter 5. We know that. That's a hard thing to do, men. Next, men must provide for their families. That's their role. That's their responsibility. In fact, if you're not providing for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever, Paul says. Women. The first one concerning women, I want you to be aware of this verse. Proverbs 14. And it talks about uh, the foolish woman tears down her house. And she doesn't even know it. She's tearing down her house. Sarcasm. Gossiping. Undermining her husband. Not submitting to her husband. Be aware of that. Be careful not to tear down your house. Next, women are to submit. Submit to their husbands. Women are to focus on their families. Titus chapter 2. Every act, by the way, women, every act that you do, everything that you do on a daily basis toward your family is an act of worship, folks, to God. Because God is blessing you as you are working with those children. You changing that diaper, that is an act of worship to God. I know, it doesn't sound right, but that's the reality. That's the reality. So we teach our children, women, you teach your children what is good What is good? Not what is just acceptable. Not what is just uh, favorable to the rest of the world. But no, we are teaching what is good. What is good? It's so important. You teach modesty. You teach humility. You don't see humility taught today. No. Self-promotion. You teach servanthood. Children are to be brought up and treated with respect. But they must be disciplined as well. Children, you're to submit to your Parents, we're to teach our children to sit. We're to teach them to listen. We're to teach them respect for other people, respect for property, respect for older people, respect for their parents. Then the church needs to come alongside. The church must be careful to preserve the unity of the family. We teach the word of God and it is passed from generation to the next generation. And also we need to pray for our children, don't we? And we need to work, sometimes some of you need to work in children's church. Some of you need to work in the children's program. 
There's a desperate need for that. And you need to step up. There's needs here at this church to minister to our children. Now, folks, we are to build up the family. Now, I'm going to draw this to a conclusion here. When the Word of God is faithfully taught in the church, the result is going to be growth. It's going to be growth. God uses His Word to grow His church. That's always been the way it works. But here's the thing. We have to be doers of the Word. We have to be doers of the Word. And we must do our part. We must do our part to build up the local body of Christ. Now, listen to this just by one last application. You will either be a doer of the Word or you're going to be a doer of society. That's the bottom line. You're going to get your information from society and you're just going to go with the flow and you're just going to be tossed back and forth or you're going to be doers of the Word. Folks, we can avoid so many, so many of our spiritual problems if we just take the time to faithfully, patiently, and thoroughly study Scripture with an obedient heart. That's where it starts. It all starts with Scripture and us being doers of the Word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You. Thank You, Lord, for Your Word and the clarity that it gives us as a church, as individuals. And Lord, as a society, the society is watching, the society is looking. Lord, may we be good examples in every area. Lord, may we be faithful to Your Word. May we do Your Word. Maybe we implement it into our lives, into our daily lives. And Lord, as a church, may we do the same. And Lord, not for our glory, but for Your glory. Lord, make us faithful prayers. The real battle is a spiritual battle. Lord, make us faithful prayers. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Appreciate you being here. I pray that if there's anything that we can do for you, we'd love to have you visit us and you can see one of our elders or one of our deacons. Uh, We would love to be able to help you in whatever way we can.